Last week, Tuesday, probably about half of you were here. We had a really cool event called our Life Group Relaunch Party. And we had a bunch of people in this room. We had some fun together. If you weren't here, you won't know about Human Bingo, but it was a really good moment. We had some great winners on the competitive side. But we had some fun together, and then we broke up into a bunch of different life groups. So we launched three new groups as a church, so a bunch of new people get connected. And for people who, I guess, haven't really seen their life group over the Christmas period, it was just a time to get back together. So this Tuesday and Wednesday night, our life groups are going to be meeting together again. So if you are not connected, if you're coming in here today and maybe with the Christmas holidays or whatever, your head's been in the sand, you missed the notices, you didn't know about any of this stuff, you can chat to myself or Brendan afterwards. We'd love to connect you with one of our life group leaders or help you to get to know some of the people in this church that might be in a group that would suit you or is near to you. But we'd love to see you get connected. And that's really what I want to speak about today. Shell has forced me to open with a really cheesy joke, though. It's not me, guys. It's Shell's idea. So if it flops, it's all her. A crossfitter, a vegan, and a Bitcoiner, a cryptocurrency, walk into a bar. You know how I know? because I told everyone within the first minute, how lame and cheesy, you know? I don't know, I'm sure you guys have all been in situations recently where someone has been talking about Bitcoin or some kind of cryptocurrency, like it is some life-changing, game-changing investment. You put money in there, and your life will be changed forever. Maybe you're sitting in this room, maybe that's where you're at. But probably the thing with vegans, people who do CrossFit, people who are into all, all of these things, and I'm sure you can think of more, is they actually think these things will change your life. You know, they are loving being part of the process. CrossFit has sculpted them, has changed their body, and they're like all in. You know, they're a believer. And they're evangelists. They want to recruit you for this thing that they believe in. I think similarly, with our year starting and with New Year's resolutions and people making changes, we want to be evangelists for life groups, you know. We would love to see you get connected in a group because we really believe that it could significantly change and form your year and your life and help you to get to know God and grow in the community of believers. So here's a little bit more about why we think you should join a life group. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul, this apostle, who um, has been shaping and mentoring and discipling and leading this guy named Timothy for years and years, writes these strong words to him in verse 7 and 8. And he says, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So really what Paul is saying to all of us as we make these commitments that are going to bring about personal transformation in our lives in 2018, he's saying, please include spiritual training in that plan as well. The word train there in verse 7 is this Greek word, which I'm going to absolutely butcher, which is gymnazo, which is where we get gymnasium and gym from. If there's any Greeks in the room, I'm so sorry. But this verse is very much a virgin active Pilates CrossFit New Year's resolution kind of verse, you know. And I do just want to make a disclaimer before I carry on and talk anything more about it. This verse doesn't say train yourself for salvation. What this verse is not saying here is that if you want God to love you, or you want to earn brownie points with God, or you want eternal life, or you want your sins forgiven, or you want a blessed life, then you need to do a whole bunch of stuff. That is not what this is saying here. That's legalism. That's not the gospel. In Ephesians 2 verse 8 to uh, 10, Paul writes incredibly, and he says, uh, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works or what we do so that no one could boast. Because if this is how it worked, you and I would get into the whole boasting thing. You'd be like, whoo, look at my life now. Whoo, God loves me so much because of all of these things that I've been doing, you know. That's not how it works. We're saved by grace. 
God loves us by his grace. Even while we were sinners, Christ still loved us. So I don't want you to hear the wrong thing now. This verse isn't about salvation, it's about sanctification, which is a really great Christian word, which means that we are called to change and grow and transform and mature more and more into the image of Jesus. So that's what Paul is talking about there. He says, train yourself for godliness. So I was thinking about training, and I thought, what would it take to win an Olympic gold medal, you know? Listen, I don't know what your New Year's resolutions are, but I'm setting the sights high. Tokyo 2020, I want to get in on it, you know. Um, And I looked up Michael Phelps, who is like the most decorated Olympic medalist of all time. 28 medals, a whole bunch of golds hanging around his neck. And he will spend, he will do 13 kilometers of swimming every single day. I think it's probably six days a week. I think he does give himself a day off, which is really kind. But he spends 13 Ks swimming in the pool every day, which is about 80 Ks a week. And then after he does that swim, he spends five or six hours in the gym, training, working his body, so he is fit and strong enough to compete at that kind of international level. I read in this article, and they said he's taken four days off in four years. I think that article was maybe two years old. But imagine that, four days off from that kind of intense training in the last four years. And it's not just what he does. I mean, he's also eating everything he does when he goes to sleep, when he wakes up. Everything is organized around being the best he can be in the entire world. The message translation of the verse I just read puts it like this. Exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. Workouts in the gymnasium are useful, but... A disciplined life in God is far more so making you fit both today and forever. Isn't that quite a cool verse? Paul thinks it's a little bit harsh, but I really like the way that's written. And really for us in 2018, we do desire to see Harbor City be a spiritually fit church. You know, we want to see us grow and mature to really know and grow into the image of Jesus more and more and big time, you know. I know some of you might push back a little bit on that idea of a disciplined life in God. You might say, that's strict, that's harsh, where's the freedom, that sounds religious to me. But let me put it like a little, a little bit differently or in another way. When Michael Phelps is spending uh, all that time swimming, 13 kilometers a day in the pool, when he's spending those five or six hours a day in the gym, he's not doing it because he loves just being in the pool or training, you know? He's not some kind of sadist. He doesn't like hurting himself. He isn't just like into the strict discipline kind of life. He's doing that swimming and that gymming because he wants Olympic golds. He's doing it because he wants to break world records. He's doing it because he wants the joy of victory. You know, the ends is what's in sight. The end isn't the training, the end is the medals. And it's exactly the same for us. You know, Christianity isn't this strict, harsh, disciplined religion. That's not what we're a part of at all. But for the joy set before us of knowing God, of enjoying Him, of delighting in Him, and living the kind of life He has called us to live, the life that is truly life in His Son, living out His ways, is why we want to train ourselves and why we want to live a disciplined life in God. One person said this, I was a Christian for 22 years, but instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. I just kept doing the same things over and over again. Now listen, a baby is so cute, you know? A one-year-old, oh, we don't mind if it's vomiting on itself, pooping in its diaper, screaming through the night, whatever. We don't mind that stuff at all, because it's a baby. You know, we'll look at it and we'll think, oh, cute, we'll make the googly eyes, we'll do the faces, we'll make the noises, all of that, because babies can do that stuff and we find it adorable. Fast forward 21 years, a 22-year-old that's still pooping themselves 
and throwing up while they eat and you're trying to put the spoon in their mouth and they're spitting it out and just can't do anything for themselves. We don't find that cute anymore, you know? We really, we find that weird. You should be maturing. You should be growing up. Some of you in this room were probably 22-year-old parents. You had kids at 22. You were caring for someone else. You were doing the whole nappy feeding, wake up in the middle of the night, all of that stuff for someone else. Because the goal of maturity is that we would be able to help others grow and care for others and develop others. So that's really what we want to say, uh, see. And really this year we would love to see you grow in your maturity as a follower of Jesus and grow to be part of this mission of helping other people to know him and grow up in their faith. And really what the Bible calls this idea of people following Jesus, becoming like him inside of a community is discipleship. And Jesus, at the end of his life, after he's been crucified, after he's been raised from the dead, just before he ascends to heaven, gets his believers together and he gives them this command, this commission. He charges them with something he wants them to do. And in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, it says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, what's amazing is Jesus promises to always be with us. So I don't know what you're going through now, good or bad. Jesus is with you. It's a promise of his. He is with you. But he also gives us a command and a charge to do those three things, you know, to make disciples. And that is for us. We should be making ourselves disciples. We should be helping ourselves to grow in the faith. But it's also helping other people to cross the line of faith, begin to follow Jesus, and then grow up in their faith too. Part of our role is to point others towards him and his ways. The second thing it says there is baptize them. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you haven't taken the plunge and been baptized, that is something we'd love to help you do. You can chat to us, otherwise we will have a baptism Sunday in the next couple of weeks or months, and we'd love to see you take your next step. But then thirdly, he says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded, or maybe to dumb it down and make it more simple. Help them to know how to live out the things that I've said. That's part of our job too to help others to know how to follow him and do the things that he has called us to. We want to see people filled with biblical information, which leads to life transformation. That is why the church exists. That is the priority of the church. And we want to see you get involved in a life group, which is this intentional place for us as a church where you can go through that kind of process, where in community you can learn and grow and mature yourself. And in Acts 2, verse 42 to 47, Brenz was teasing me this morning because we preach this every single year. There's like a cornerstone verse for us as a church. And then it gives us such a beautiful snapshot of what the early church was like and what we should be like as a church and in our groups. But really, it gives us this picture of what life in the early church was like. And for us, our life groups are like these training wheels on a kid's bicycle that help us to learn to live out these ways until they become more and more natural for us. So Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Last week we talked about building community in our groups. I think that's something we really want to do. We'd love you to see our midweek life groups as these little families where we care for one another and love one another and support one another and pray for one another and help one another. But that's not all they are, you know. We would also love you to see life groups as these little spiritual gymnasiums, you know, little spiritual groups where you can grow and train and mature in your faith and become more like Jesus. Places where you're challenged and stretched and learning and growing. I remember, like, I haven't been part of the gym for a while. Um, I know it's hard to believe. I'm pretty sculpted. But um, I haven't been part of the gym in a while. But my friends and I, we used to go. We were training a lot for water polo and things like that. So it really was a long time. And since I'm 32 today, let's not do the math. But we used to go, and we would either be in the pool swimming, or we'd be doing like the circuit, or the super circuit, or whatever the kids are calling it these days. And we'd start maybe at the rowing machine, do a little bit of rowing with the mates. And we'd move over to, I don't know, maybe the abs, like get our abs cut for the ladies. We'd move over to do some weights, you know, kind of sculpting our guns. And we'd go legs back, whatever else you're meant to do in the gym. And uh, we would go through that. Michelle wanted me to really include the fact that I was going through a bit of a skater phase at the time. So I only wore jeans when I went to the gym. So I looked really, really cool. Long hair, jeans, big puffy skateboarder shoes. That's what gym life was like for me. But I'd love you to see that picture of a super circuit in the gym as something of what's going on in Acts chapter 2. You know, see all of those different elements of what community life look like and almost to see each one of those things as a different um, piece of equipment in the gym, a different thing that is shaping us and stretching us and growing us in different ways. And we can't just do one or two. We actually need all of them to help to shape us into the image of Jesus and the people of God more and more and more. So what do we see here in Acts 2? Firstly, they were a people of the book. They were people of God's word, and we see they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Like they were on the edge of their seats as the apostles taught the scriptures and spoke about Jesus and the cross and what it means for our lives. I don't know how you do with your Bible reading, but Lifeway Christian Research just released their study saying that the most formative thing for children to see them grow in their faith and carry on their faith when they leave home is Bible reading. Amazing, eh? Uh, Willow Creek did a study years ago saying, what is the most formative personal devotion you can do to help you grow in your faith? They found Bible reading. For us in this room, I really want to encourage you to read the Bible on your own and think about and pray through what it says that you could grow in your faith. Secondly, they were a people of prayer and worship. I think that's such a huge thing, you know. They were personally engaging with God and speaking to God and listening to what God had to say. And also they were praising God in the good and bad times of life. You know, it's really easy for us to sing praise you God when things are going well. But these guys were praising God no matter what came their way, good or bad. They were celebrating and worshiping Him. And they were a people of the gospel. Now, we are a gospel-centered church. We talk about that from time to time. But the reality is, is everything they did was centered around God, who he was, and what he had done. And one of the ways we see that is in the taking of communion, which we're going to be doing a little bit later. You know, they would meet together in the temple, and then they would go into each other's homes. They'd have a meal together, and they'd break bread, and they'd drink the wine. And in that moment, you can imagine the people sitting together, thinking back to their friend Jesus or this person they'd heard about named Jesus or this person they'd seen preach or this person who had healed them of their sickness named Jesus and thinking about that moment when he died on the cross and just thinking of the cross and thinking, wow, the cross, the cross cost God so much. 
No, just thinking of that moment where God gave his son and the bloody, violent death that Jesus went through in our place for our sins. They didn't just think about the cost. They thought, okay, if, if God was willing to pay that for me, what about my value? Like, I don't know your story at all, but the cross shows us how valuable you are in God's eyes, how much God loves you, how much you mean to God, how much he cares about you. And you might be in a good time. You might be going through a really bad time. I want you to know how valuable you are in God's eyes because of the cross. And thirdly, the cross shows us how much God hates sin and how seriously we should take sin and that we need to repent of it and push it away to follow him. And as we take communion just now and as they took communion, they thought about all of these things and the new reality they lived in as the people of God, that their sins were forgiven in Christ, that they were washed clean of their past and what they had done, that they were adopted into God's family, that they were a new creation and that they were at peace with God. That when God looked at them, he said, this is my son or daughter who I love and with whom I'm well pleased. As we take communion today, we can say that about ourselves. We can say that about one another. Also, I want to say in this church, when we take communion, we've just broken up into two tables. We haven't done this before. So crazy new decision we've made. But really, this is to break congestion up. Today, actually, we would love to meet in little groups all around this room and pray together and thank Jesus for what he's done but also pray for one another. And this is an opportunity to ask for prayer. And on top of that, it's an opportunity to say, Holy Spirit, is there anything you're wanting to say to anyone in this group? Actually, is there scripture? Is there a prophecy? Is there a word? Is there, an encour- is there something someone here needs to hear and then to minister to and encourage one another in that? Fourthly, they were a hospitable people. They would welcome in strangers. They would love others. They were a warm, welcoming community. They were evangelistic, meaning they shared the good news of Jesus with those around them, their friends, their families, their co-workers. And lastly, they were a people of the Spirit. They walked in the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. They were led by the Spirit. And they saw the Spirit of God do some powerful stuff in and through them. I mean, I feel like this is something God's speaking to me about and challenging me in. But when was the last time the Holy Spirit impressed something on your heart to do and you responded trusting God to do something powerful in and through your life? We want to be that kind of people. And the list could go on. Maybe you can look through that passage later. But I remember when I joined my old church, Red Point, a couple of years ago. Actually, it was be 15 years at the moment, going through all of these year changes today. But 15 years ago, I joined this church. And I remember within a few weeks, I was invited into this group, and I spoke to you a little bit about the community I found in that group last week. But on top of that, there was something that I loved. You see, I was super green. I'd never been in a life group or a small group or a Bible study, whatever you want to say before. I knew so little. I knew so little about church, the Bible, Jesus, the gospel, any of these things. So every time I went, I feel like I learned a ton, you know. Every time Nathan, who was leading the group, would share something, it was a new passage to me that I'd never heard before. And I was one of those people, I'd be like, we should write this down and put this on our walls or on our fridges. Like, we should get this tattooed. This is a good verse. We should memorize this verse every single week. So it was all brand new to me. So I was learning stuff. We were discussing things. We'd go down little rabbit holes. You know, someone would throw out a word that I hadn't heard. I'd say, well, what's that? Explain that. Where do you get that? And we would just have these amazing discussions in our group. But it wasn't just the learning. You know, I'm a big learner. I love reading. I love understanding more of God and his ways. But it was also seeing this group of people committed to knowing God, who loved God and wanted to follow him and live this stuff out. So I was seeing in this community people who did the stuff. They lived the Acts 2 stuff. They did the Bible stuff. And it was so much easier for me to kind of get into the swing of it because of what they were saying and doing around me. So for instance... 
I started to have a quiet time. You might not have heard that phrase before. It was completely new to me when I heard it in this group. But everyone was talking about their quiet times, you know, getting alone with God, having a devotion, reading their Bible, praying. And I mean, that doesn't sound like the most appealing thing to me, or it didn't at the time. But people were talking about what God was saying to them as they spent time alone with Him in prayer and in the Bible. And I thought that was amazing. Like, this was brand new to me. I'd been in church before. But the thought that I could ask God to speak and hear Him speak to me by the Holy Spirit was life-changing and profound. So I started to do it. I thought, like, if this is something I can do, if this is something I can have, I want it and I'm going to try And I started to experience God speaking to me by His Word and by His Spirit. I also started to tell my friends about Jesus. I think it was like something in the group we were told about. It was something I was seeing in the book of Acts. That was just what Peter and Paul, all the guys were doing. So I started to do it too. One, because I saw it uh, in Scripture in the group, but also because I wanted to. You know, I was excited about this Jesus stuff, and I wanted my friends to know. So I think sometimes I was blunt and unwise, and I think I probably offended and irritated them sometimes. But over time, some of these guys started to follow Jesus, and it was so cool. I remember having to call one of the elders the one time because I just didn't know what to do. One of my friends had become a Christian and we're sitting at Stoker's, which is this pub up in Kloof. And they said, listen, I was reading my Bible today and I really feel like I've got to get baptized. Can you baptize me? And I legitimately didn't know. Like, I wasn't sure. Did I need to do a baptism course? Did I need a certificate? Like, did I need to be trained? What do you even do? So I called up one of the elders and I ran my conundrum by him. And he explained to me from the Bible what I could do. And I said, okay, that's great. So I don't need a certificate. No, you're all good to go. Okay, great. But what do I do? You know, I know we get in the pool, but like, what do I say? What do I do? How does this thing look? And we started to do some baptisms. Um, I remember one life group, after seeing this happen a lot, getting up the confidence after watching people during times of prayer and worship start to share things they believed God was saying. So maybe it was a scripture for the group or a prophetic word or a word of knowledge or something like that. And I got up the courage after seeing this and watching it and learning how to hear God speak to myself. The one time I thought God was speaking to me for someone and I thought, okay, I'm going to step out. Like I'm nervous, could get this wrong. I could misrepresent God. I could say the wrong thing. They could just say, not for me. Sorry, buddy, you're wrong. I thought I'm going to do it. Like it's worth it. I'm going to try. And I spoke what I thought God was wanting to say to this person and it seemed to hit the spot. You know, this seemed to be something from God for them that strengthened, comforted and encouraged them. And all of a sudden I realized I'm one of those people now, you know, before I wasn't, but now I'm one of those people who hears God speak to me and shares that stuff with other people. I'm one of them. I'm in that category now. It's amazing what God can do in groups. I began to tithe because of a life group. I remember being in that group. I'd never heard of tithing before. It was brand new to me. I'd never thought of like the financial realities of church or like investing into church for the mission of God. I'd never thought that maybe my worship and my money were, went hand in hand in any way. Or I'd never even thought of the fact that actually maybe in a consumeristic and materialistic world, see the practice of giving some of the money that God has given me away. You know, and trusting that God gives everything that I need to me, and actually I can trust Him not just with my money, but everything, might be a way to fight the materialism and consumerism in my heart. But as we started to speak about this in our group, I thought, okay, I'm going to try it. And chatting to people and discussing it and learning from them shaped me in that way. I learned to practice hospitality in that group because I experienced it when I walked through the door. 
I remember a guy named Grant Slevin being just so warm to me as I came into that group, greeting me. He remembered my name, asking me questions, not just speaking about himself. I remember people serving me by making me cups of tea and coffee and then cleaning the dishes afterwards. I remember all sorts of ways that people loved me as I was new in that group, and it started to shape me and the group I would lead, and I think the way I am today. And I preached my first sermon in that life group. It wasn't good. It did not go well. I remember distinctly being interrupted and losing my whole flow. I'd put in so much time and thought, but I was so nervous, my stomach was in knots. And I remember at the end, my life group leader, Nathan, had to say, thanks so much, Grant. There were just maybe two or three things Grant said that I just want to comment on. And he had to kind of correct or adjust some of the things I said because they weren't great, you know. And I probably afterwards never wanted to do that again, but it was like a first step in the journey for me, you know. My first sermon will always have been preached at 83 Emilwaney Road in Kloof. It didn't go well, but it was a step in the journey. And I just think as we start life groups this week, for you, what is God going to do in that group? You know, what is going to shape you or form this imagination we have of what it looks like to be the people of God? What maybe could God put into your heart or your life or shape you in, which could shape your calling and your future and who you become and what you do? What is it that God might want to speak to you about over the next while? I share all of this because our life groups are spaces for change and transformation. Last week, I I threw out a name of what we don't want to call the life groups, but really they are little Jesus gyms. Again, we're never going to call them that, but that is what they are. It's places where we get trained in the ways of Jesus and we learn and grow and mature and become. So would you join a group and train for godliness? and become the kind of person Jesus is shaping you to be and calling you to become. I want to encourage you with two things, Harbor City, because we want to see you come to know God and to become more and more like Jesus. One, will you take responsibility for your discipleship this year? Will you lead yourself to God, to know Him, to follow Him, to live out His ways? And secondly, will you take someone with you on the journey? Will you take someone under your wing this year? You can pray for you can care for, you can invest into, you can challenge, you can um, give money to, you can serve. Will you take someone under your wing that you can help to grow in this faith? And would you help us to make disciples together as a church? Would you stand with me? I really want to pray for us that we would become this kind of church. And then we're going to sing some worship and then we're going to break up into communion. So if you don't mind closing your eyes, Lord, I I just look at this picture of what your church looked like. The book of Acts, what Paul spoke to Timothy about in 1 Timothy 4. I pray that we would become this kind of church, Lord. I pray you would make us into disciples and I pray that you would help us to help others grow. We would see our friends and our families begin to know you and follow you and that we would be transformed into your image. So I pray even now, Lord God, we want to respond to you, to what you're saying and what you're doing. I ask you to stir our hearts, speak to us. Lord, we repent of our sin. We repent of our struggles. We want to follow you seriously and passionately this year. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to be poured out upon us, to fill us, to lead us, we pray, and to take us forward as a church. In Jesus' name.